0: thank you for downloading and listening to this podcast if you'd like to connect with us we would like to connect with you find us on facebook instagram twitter and all your social media outlets so we can minister to you every day god bless and hope you enjoy the episode asked me to preach I did not know what in the world to preach on because I'm the kind of I'm a very abrasive storytelling preacher and what I mean by abrasive is I don't like to sugarcoat the gospel I like to give it to you raw and I've learned that when you do that you have a tendency to split churches and offend people (laughs) but the gospel is as the gospel is and I'm not sorry so when I started, look, right around the time pastor had asked me, I was ordering our Mother's Day gifts. Now, mind you, I didn't order it for what it said. I ordered it because my favorite color is on here. And I'm a girl, I like shiny and glitter and fun. And I said, Ooh, yes. Well, they came in and I looked at them and I kept saying, Okay, God, I'm running out of time. And God goes, <clears throat> Child look up. I was like, oh, abundant grace. All right. Thanks, God. I'm the kind of person you got to straight up tell me to my face things. So I said, okay, well, how how does abundant grace and Mother's Day tie in together? And then God said, it's not going to. Because what I want you to preach is your heart and how my grace saved you and I said, okay, God, let's go with this. So I know as a church, you guys don't know my testimony, and I'm not going to tell you my whole testimony because it's very long and complicated, but I want to tell you about a story in my life where God's abundant grace saved me. Now, this is back in about 2012, I'm going to say like September ish, right in that season. I was going through a divorce. My ex-husband decided that he didn't want to love God, that he didn't want to take care of his family, and he wanted to be all about him. But the minute he said, you will never raise my kids in church, was the minute I knew I had to go. So I'm in the midst of the divorce. I've given up my brand new home I've just bought. I've given up probably about 75% of my possessions. I took what I could in a car with my two little babies, and I moved to my mom and dad's house about an hour away. Now, during that season, right before my divorce, I was getting into drugs. I was getting into alcoholism. I was deep in my pornography addiction. I was one messed up little sinner. So when i moved to my mom and dad's house instead of seeking god i kept saying god i have every ounce of this coming i have every ounce of this bankruptcy coming i have every ounce of this divorce coming i told god i said god i'm not going to ask you for forgiveness because it was my stupidity that got me here in the first place my pride was so thick that i wasn't going to let god touch it so back in september i'm living in my mom and dad's house my mom and dad are also pastors so this kind of runs in the family. And my grandmother knew that I had lost everything. Because not only did I lose my house, I lost my car. I had to give everything to him because I didn't have a job. I had just gotten fired the week before. My grandma, whom I love dearly, whom I'm actually gonna go get to see this week, said, honey, I bought you a car. But you're gonna have to come get it. And I said, okay, you I'll come get it. At the day, I left, both of my kids were sick my son was running a fever, my daughter was running a crazy fever so I said mom can you watch them, it's five hours down five hours back give me 12 hours, she goes yeah sure I meet up with my grandma and I get the the brown bullet which was this 1996 Buick beast of a car loved that car (laughs) I go pick it up my grandma decides to take us out to eat cool well, being a mother as I am, what am I going to do? I'm going to call my mom. Hey, mom, I'm going to check on my babies. I called my mom. I said, hey, mom, how are the kids doing? Mom goes, well, Jackson's good, but something's wrong with Addison. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And the minute I asked what's going on, did she start going into a seizure? Something that had never happened before. And this wasn't just one of the, this wasn't a little petty mal seizure. For those of you that know seizures, there's petty mal, grand mal, something else, a bunch of medical terms. She had one of the worst ones you could have, the one where you quit breathing. Now, I lived in rural Illinois at the time. There was no, the hospital was 40 minutes away. The closest ambulance was 15. The worst part about it is knowing that something is happening to your child and you're not there. I go into mass panic because not only has my life already fallen apart, but I told God, I said, God, I, do, I deserve this. I don't deserve anything that you're giving me, but, oh, buddy, what is going on? So I hop, I finally get my dad in the car. I'm like, Dad, you don't understand. My dad was with me. He drove me down so we could pick it up. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. I start going into a rotation of three different people Every five minutes on the phone, getting updates. I couldn't be there, so I did the closest thing I could. I called everybody I knew. Called my little sister, called my mom, my landlord who was my neighbor. And every five minutes, I kept calling. What's going on, what's going on? Mia, she's still not breathing. Mia, the ambulance is still not here. We don't know what's taking them so long. Mia, she's turning blue, she's not breathing. This goes on for about 20 minutes and my mom says, "Uh uh-uh. The ambulance isn't here, let's go. They throw my seizing daughter in a car and go flying down this little country road. They meet the ambulance halfway. The ambulance finally gets there. The ambulance driver said that she wasn't breathing. They couldn't get her to breathe. She was still seizing. Now, for those of you that know that the amount of time that your brain is without oxygen, you eventually lose function. Forty-five minutes later, they finally get her to stop. And during this whole ordeal, I have turned my group of three people into a group of five people, calling every five minutes. At this point, I've added in another sister. I've added in, I think, somebody else. I don't even remember. In mass panic, and I kept saying, God, I deserve every bit of this, but dude, don't take her. Finally, after an hour of driving in the car, mind you, this is going to go back to God's grace here, in an unlicensed, unplated, no insurance Buick car going about 100 miles an hour down the highway. I should have been pulled over real quick. And I kept crying and crying and crying, and I kept going, God, I don't deserve this. God, please. I said, I don't care what you do to me. Don't take this kid away from me. I've lost everything, and finally, I broke. My pride broke. And I said, God, I will do whatever it is you want me to do. I will lay it all down. I didn't have an altar. Again, I had a Buick. I laid it all down at the altar, and I said, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. Whatever you do, don't take her. And then I heard him. I heard God's tangible voice. And he said, okay, I got this. that was it. And that's what I love about God's voice, because when he says, okay, I got this, It doesn't just mean one thing. When God tangibly speaks like that, it's big. I put the phone down, and I begin to weep hysterically because I knew nothing at that point. And then I got the phone call from the doctor that said, Mia, your daughter is without oxygen for around 45 to 50 minutes. If she has any brain activity left, she's going to probably be a vegetable. And then I heard God again. He said, no, I've got this. So I kept asking God. I said, God, I don't get it. I have done everything I could to do Everything against you. I was mad at your people. I was doing everything I could to not be a Christian. I was thick in my sin, so thick that it didn't feel like sin anymore. It felt like every day. And then God said again, he goes, I told you. I've got this. What should have been a five-hour trip was magically a -a three-and-a-half-hour trip with zero cops on the highway I've got this I go to the fourth floor of the hospital mentally preparing myself because at this point I've I quit answering the phone. I couldn't handle it because my doc this doctor has just told me that my daughter I've got a vegetable or a dead daughter but I kept hearing it I've got this I've got this. I go to the fourth floor hospital, and I expect to see my daughter tied up to life support leads, looking like a little robot. We used to joke with her on her EEGs that she looked like a robot. And here was my 18-month-old daughter with her little hind ends sticking up in the air, sucking her thumb, with my mom and my sister in the room, and I'm like, That's not a vegetable. And the best part about it is, I walked in, I started stroking her back. She had this bright pink pacifier that was way too big for her face. She took it out, she opened her eyes and said, Hi, mommy. I can attest to you now, she is not a vegetable. I could barely get the kid to eat her vegetables, let alone her being a vegetable. But you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with grace? At the time, I didn't even know what grace means. I have been in church since I was a little peanut. And I've heard so much Christianese words, but I never actually knew what they were. So I had actually, 33 years old, had to Google, what is grace? Grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely, the peace of God given to the restless, and the unmerited favor of God. When I was that thick in my sin... I didn't deserve it. Because not only was I into everything that I told you, there was a lot more things I was into that I'm not going to yet because of little ears. That, my friends, was one story of abundant grace of about a thousand that God has laid out in my 33-year 30 year life. And the funny thing about grace is we don't deserve it because we're all sinners i'm your pastor i used to be a drug addicted person but god's abundant grace still comes through today god may see your past but the, one of my favorite bible verses is that he forgives your sins as far as the east is from the west if you don't know what that means take your arms like this are they ever going to touch Okay, the one that said yes, come talk to me later. When God forgives your sins, I'm going to say it like my dad does. Mind you, my dad's a 60-year-old biker. He goes, God drops them like they're hot, never to pick them back up again. So all those years that I was thick in my sin, that sin came so complacent that it was just an everyday life, God forgave my sins and dropped them and started showing grace like I've never seen before. So then I said, okay, God, well, this isn't a testimony Sunday. I need to find a a person in the Bible who God showed just an abundant amount of grace. So I Googled it. (laughs) I love Google. I love Google and Amazon. And the weirdest of people showed up in that, it was Rahab. Now, Rahab's not a super-known person in the Bible, so I'm going, first I thought it was Rehab, and I said, okay, that's funny, God. I misread it. It was Rahab. (laughs) And for those of you that don't really know the story of Rahab, I'm just going to do a real quick run-through, and then we're going to read some scripture. Rahab was a promiscuous lady of the night. Again, little ears. Rahab profited. For being a promiscuous woman of the night. Her home was built in the wall of Jericho in the land of Canaan. So she she got a nice little wall suite, great view of dirt. And while Rahab's doing her thing, little does she know that her life is about to be impacted forever. See, Joshua sends out two spies to look over the land, to get a map of the terrain, to see what the people know and don't know. It sends out two spies. And now the Bible does not say how they ended up at Rahab's house. But they somehow end up at Rahab's house. <laughs> yeah. They end up at Rahab's house. And now, mind you, this is why I hate gossip. Because Jericho was... There's two people in the city. They're not they're not Jericho people. They're not Canaanites. They're not what? They went into her house. Ew. So naturally the guards get whiff of, hold up. Two people that aren't from the city are scouting the city. They're spies. Again, how they end up at Rahab's house, we do not know. But Rahab knows the God that they serve, and hides them on the roof. So if we could turn to Joshua 8, and as they're hiding on the roof, the soldiers come into her house saying, hey, 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 Rahab lady, now we know through the grapevine that there were two men at your house that were not of this land. What did they want? And she's, I mean, she did lie, so I'm not super proud of that. But she goes, yeah, there were two guys here. And I don't know what they wanted. I don't know why they were here. And I couldn't tell you where they went. I just know they left because the city gate was about to close and they needed to boot scoot out. That's all I know. She goes, but if you hurry... They went out the doors, you probably can catch them. So the guards do what they do. They run out the doors. They're like, we're going to catch these two homeboys who are scouting out the land. A little time passes, and Rahab pulls them off of the roof. And this is where we're at, is at verse 8. You can pull that up. Before the men fell to sleep, she went up on the roof, And said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you. And when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sana'a and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. And for the Lord, your God, who is in heaven above and on earth below. Now, please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my family because I showed you kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, and all, and all who belong to them and save us from death. So we'll stop there. Did Rahab deserve to be saved? By their standards, no. She was a promiscuous woman, which was a very frowned upon career, who was deep in her sin, living in a city that was deep in their sin, living in a land that was overflowing in sin, and God had enough. Because mind you, Canaan was also the lands where Sodom and Gomorrah lived. And we all know how that happens. Um, not there anymore. It, it was a little bit of a hot festival at that time. Sanog and Og desecrated. They knew that the very God that destroyed those lands was heading that way but in the thick of their sin, did not turn and repent. All of them just kind of accepted their fate because they knew what they had done. They liked the life that they lived. And if God was going to come destroy it, oh well. But Rahab, I relate a lot to her because I was in the thick of my sin And I finally cut through my pride, and I said, God, save my family. For her, it was her whole family. For me, it was my daughter. So on that next verse, I think it was 13 or 14, the men answered her, we will give our lives for you. If you don't report our mission, we will show you kindness And faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us this land. Rahab knew what she had to give up to save her family. She had to give up her pride. She had to give up her life style. She was going to have to give up her home. She was going to have to give up everything she had to save her family So the first point of that is she was shown grace in the midst of her sin, and the thickest part of her sin. Because those men could have said no. They could have said no. You're promiscuous. You're a lady of the night. You are of this land, and you're in my way to the promised land because this was the one Jericho was the one thing in the way the one big kahuna in the way between them and the promised land but God showed them grace the men gave their oath they said we got some instructions for you don't tell anybody what we're doing why we were here don't even tell anybody that you saw two men Tie a scarlet rope, because mind you, her house was built into the wall of Jericho. Tie a scarlet rope around your wall. We're going to know that if you've got this scarlet piece of rope up here, that you're keeping your promise and we're going to keep ours. Gather your family together, gather them in your house. If they leave and they get killed, not on me. But if you stay true to these words, you and your family will be saved. She was shown grace, and she was shown a second chance, an opportunity to leave who she was once before and follow the men and women of God. To save her life and the life of her family, she gave it all up. Because here's the thing, and point number two. It's on the back, my bad. She stayed obedient to her promise, and she waits for God to show up. Because here's the thing, is they didn't give her a timeline So often as Christians, we want a timeline of how things are going to go so we can prepare. And I can tell you, God don't work like that. God does not give you timelines on things so you can prepare because what that does is that puts us in control of God's will. I've learned over time that you just, when God says you're going to do something, you just say okay. And you wait for God to lay out the instructions. I knew I was going to be in full-time ministry when I was 15 years old. That didn't come to pass until I was 29. I'm not doing the math. I grew up in Bosworth. I do not know how to add. I knew God was going to lay a path out for me. I didn't know when or where. I had no clue that it was going to lead me to Chillicothe, Missouri in 2020. At all. <laughs> so just like Rahab, she knows God's coming. She knows what is about to come because she knows that the men and women of God of that time did not just come in, shake your hand, say, hi, how are you doing? No, they came in to destroy the things that were bartering them away from what God had promised them. So she had to stay in her home and prepare for the arrival of of Joshua and the men and women of God. She waits and waits. And the Bible doesn't say quite how long it was because the men and women of God at the time, they had to do some preparations, and I am not going to tell you what those are because, gentlemen, I love you. Let's just say it's not a fun day for them. And this is the, my favorite part. My absolute favorite part was point number three. In Joshua 6, 20 through 20, 25, so we're, we've gone a couple chapters past. And this is right before they're getting ready to march around the walls of Jericho. Joshua said to the two men who had scattered the land, go to the promiscuous woman's house. And bring the woman out of there and all who were with her, just as you have promised her. So the young men who had scattered the land went and brought Rahab and her father, her mother, her brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside of the camp of Israel. They burned up the city and everything in it. They put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab, her father's household, and all who belonged to her because she hid them in. Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho. And she lives in Israel to this day. Read that last part of that verse because she hid them in Joshua had sent a spy on Jericho and she lives in Israel to this day one of my favorite bible verses is talking about how the word is living and active the third point and this is my favorite this is my absolute favorite god paved the way for the next generations through rahab Turn to Matthew 1, 5 through 6. And this is why. This is why. This I get all giddy when I read this verse. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. Then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Okay, we don't need really to care about that last part. I gotta read the whole verse. That's part of that. Because Rahab was obedient, because she allowed God's abundant grace upon her life, not only did she save her family, she helped develop the lineage that eventually leads to David, that eventually leads to King Jesus. One decision to leave her sin to leave the world that she knew to run into the arms of god helped her develop the next generations eventually leading to our savior now am i when i say i relate to rahab am i going to birth the next jesus absolutely not But I am believing in faith that the same grace that God showed on Rahab is the same grace that He showed on my family. And I am raising the next generations to go in and to take the land. Because let's be real, America, we're acting like Canaanites right now. We are acting like Canaanites. And eventually, and I'm not, and I don't hope, I hope this never happens but eventually God's going to have enough. I know people are like, this pandemic was God's reigning wrath. No, this was a wake-up call. This was a wake-up call for us as Christians to get up and do something about it, to shut up on Facebook, stop stating your opinion, getting up and realizing that your neighbor right next door to you is dying and going to hell Because you won't get the courage to say, hey, I love you, Jesus loves you, what do you need? Rahab had enough courage knowing that she was staring death in the face because when she knew those two men of God were there, she knew it was about to go down, it was about to go down hard. But she gave up her sin. It led a multitude of generations. And that's what I want for my children. Because my children are going to be the next children that go in without fear, spreading the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. Their children will be the next generation after them that does the same thing over and over and over. You believe that of your children? That right there is God's abundant grace when he took a sinner like me who deserved death hell and damnation who knew Jesus since she was eight years old but chose not to listen to him because she was mad at him because I didn't get what I wanted my God said child I've forgiven you of your sins but I made a promise Because when God said, okay, I got this, that okay wasn't a okay. No, it was God saying, okay. I acknowledge what you want to do. I acknowledge that you want to work for me. That's exactly what I did. Did I have a couple hiccups in the way? Yeah, probably. (sighs) And a couple was a lot. (laughs) But God still continues to show grace and forgiveness again and again and again and again and again. And to this day, still again and again and again and again. I still make mistakes. I may be a pastor, but I am still just as much of a sinner as everybody else. I'm not perfect. I don't want to be perfect. This does not want to be perfect. What I want to be is obedient. What I want to be is Fearless. What I want is a faith that is so strong that I can walk up to somebody, lay hands on them, and pray to know that the Spirit of God is gonna move so thick in their life that they're gonna have a supernatural healing and then that's gonna ignite another passion in their heart that they're gonna go and gain and do the same thing I did. Generation after generation after generation. It doesn't matter how old or young you are, God placed you at this point, at this time for such a movement as this. And the best part about it is he says, don't fear. He doesn't look at you because of your sins. He looks at you and calls you lovely. Song of Solomon, which I am definitely not reading, (laughs) little ears, calls me lovely. My child, you are lovely. Lovely. In the Bible, he calls me beautiful one. In the Song of Solomon's too. In his word, he constantly doesn't say bad things about us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't hate us. He doesn't want us to fail or to just re ruined. He loves you. And he wants nothing but good in your life for you. The question is, are you willing to turn like Rahab did? Are you willing to accept God's grace like Rahab did? Are you so stuck up in your pride, saying, God, I don't deserve it, that you're going to miss out on some of the biggest blessings that God ever wants to give you? It's okay to admit you're a sinner. I just told you guys I was a drug-addicted lady of the night who had serious issues with alcohol and pornography. Yet God showed me grace and said, my child, you are set free from those addictions. My child, you are set free. Go up and train the next generation to take this land back for me. Church, I want you to know that, yeah, this wasn't a Mother's Day message. But what struck my heart the most is that I see so many of you, and I see God wants to do something big in you. Every single one of you have talents, whether you realize it or not. Some of you are really good with administrative. Some of you are good at just talking to people. Some of you can cook so stinking well that I have been bragging about you to every New York church person I know. Some of you have compassion and patience. Everything that you have is a gift from God. God. And he didn't give you that gift to squander it. He gave you that gift to use it. So as Amy plays, Church, I want you to bow your head just for a moment. And this is what I want you to pray. Now for those of you that don't know Jesus, I want you to know that it doesn't matter what you've done. Or what you may be doing he still calls you lovely he still calls you beautiful he still wants to know you and all you have to do is say God I may not understand what that means but I know you have a purpose for me much greater than I thought I had And just forgive me, God, for what I've been doing. And teach me to be more like you. That's it.